Judges chapter 2. How many of you were here last week just by show of hands when we launched into this new series? Okay, several of you, but I want to I want to catch those of uh, that weren't here up um, as we break into this new series entitled "For King or Country," because the idea is that there are people all around us that we hear from the news or that we see on our on our uh, social media posts or whatever it is, and it is saying this: if we can just elect so and so, they'll fix all of this. It, our, our country is, is in a steep descent. It's not in a, just a, a, a little decline. It is in a nosedive morally. It's in a nosedive um, spiritually. And if we don't have God intervene, nothing's going to be fixed. And the idea somehow is that, that we hear in this country is that somehow if we can do this together, we can fix everything. And I'm telling you, it's the furthest thing from the truth because the Bible tells us in, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will pray and seek my face and humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sin, and then will I heal their land. And so the idea is that simply is that when we look at the book of Judges, it mirrors America right now. It really does. I mean, when we look at the book of Judges, we see God's people in the very first chapter. It said that when Joshua died, that the the people inquired of the Lord, who will go for us? And they started this book of Judges in a prayer meeting. They started uh, seeking the Lord. They started wanting to to understand what God had to say on the issue. And God began to, to share things with them over and over and over again. But here's the thing. We looked last week that there were three generations, three chairs that were on the stage last weekend. And it was the generation that believed God no matter what. It was this radical faith that they believed. But then all of a sudden we get to the end of the first chapter and it said that even though God had told them to drive out these certain groups, these Canaanites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites, one group said, yeah, we'll do that. But then the Bible said that they couldn't because they had chariots made of iron. In other words, they believed God for everything that he said until they got to a point where they half-heartedly believed. And then when we get to Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, which is where we'll start today, it said, in that generation, look what it says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. It said, after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. In other words, you have these people that came out of Joshua who were totally sold out, and they weren't perfect. They still sinned, but they believed God and what God had said. Then you had those who didn't, and they were half-hearted in their belief. And their kids, the Bible says, did not know the Lord. It wasn't a sign of ignorance, by the way. It was a sign of apathy. It was a sign that many of you have been praying for your children, that that God would wake them up from their apathy because they know Scripture. They've heard about God. You've told them about the works of the Lord, but for some reason they're apathetic towards it. And that was this generation. You also had... Three types of societies, when we look in Scripture, you had those who believed in natural law, that God governed everything, that the, that the law should be governed by the Ten Commandments and by the Word of God, and that everything, as our founding father said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It was that all men could understand truth based, on, based upon the Word of God. But then you had a second society that said, 
Let's let the highest person in charge decide what's true and what's not true. And this is what we're seeing in America today. And then you had a third generation in the third society, which is where the book of Judges is and where America is at right now, which is Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. And everyone did what was pleasing in their own sight. There was no king in Israel, no one to tell them what was true, so they all did what was pleasing in their own sight. America mirrors the book of Judges. Think about this for a moment. They had an autonomous society, which I just described to you. Everyone was doing what was pleasing in their own sight. Pluralism was rampant. You say, what is that? That's a big word. It means that there were gods everywhere for people to worship. Everywhere you turned, somebody was worshiping another god. Think of our society. Think of our culture. Everywhere we look, there are idols. And uh, another thing is that they had forgotten the Lord and the works he had done. Look at verse 10. See what he says? Who did not know the Lord or the works he had done. They had forgotten the Lord. Think about America. They had forgotten the Lord and the works that he had done. And then here's another one. They were living in a land full of violence and immorality. That describes America to the T. Because when we look at judges, here's the truth. Is that your king will become your God or your God will become your king. See, there were those who were looking to their country and for a leader to say, you fix all of this and we're going to follow you and yada, yada, yada. But God was supposed to be their king. And there are those in America who are serving and living by what the country is saying. I'm not saying to be disrespectful and to break the law. I'm saying but they were worshiping their country rather than the king over their country, which was the Lord himself. And there are those in America right now which they are choosing whether or not they're going to worship the Lord or they're going to worship a king. You say, that would never happen to me. Oh, really? Hold your place in Judges and flip with me to John. I want to show you something. John, let me find it. This just came to me, so bear with me. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. As Pilate comes to bring Jesus to the religious leaders of Israel. Verse 13. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat him down on the judge's bench in a place called the stone pavement. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, listen to this, here is your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And in one statement, they declare what the book of Judges is all about as well. We have no king but Caesar. See, in this day and age, when we look in the early century, now you can flip back with me to Judges, what we realize is that they would say, look, worship whoever you want. You can worship whatever God you want to worship. But one time a year, come to the temple, take a pinch of incense, offer it to Caesar, and declare that Caesar is God. And when the early church didn't, and when the early church said, no, we will not have any other God but Jesus, 
They were hauled off into dungeons. They were drug away into prisons. They were put into coliseums where their bodies were ripped limb to limb by lions and, and angry animals. They were stood on lampposts and covered in hot wax and their body was lit on fire all because they would not worship Caesar. See, we're living in a time where we, don't, where we think, well, I would never do that. Let me tell you something. When our political parties get above our loyalty to Christ, we have said we have no king but Caesar. I know those are harsh words, but it's, it's what needs to be spoken today. And when we look in the book of Judges, we really see some things because Israel always had a choice to obey God or to compromise with other nations. Now, I don't want you to show your hands, but I know this has been discussed in Sunday schools and, and small groups and all these things. Here's, here's the question. Because somebody will always get a bleeding heart and they'll say, well, if God is so loving... Why did he tell the Israelites to drive out all of these people? It's because God knows something that you and I don't, okay? And this is why we are to love, we are to extend grace and extend the truth of God's word because we don't know when someone is beyond repentance. When they've rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and there's no way they're coming to know Christ and they've hardened their heart so much. God knows. God knows when a nation is beyond repentance. God knows when he's going to use a people and show them as an object of his wrath rather than an object of his deliverance and grace and mercy. And God was performing spiritual surgery in the land. Because think about this for a moment. He loved his people so much that he said, if you go within that culture and you intermingle with this culture and you take on these people as your wives and you, you do all of these things, all of a sudden they're going to turn you to their gods. You're not going to turn them to yours. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what we see. And so they had to perform spiritual surgery in the land. If you're a note taker, write this down. Here's the pattern of the book of Judges as we get into it. First of all, there's rebellion. Nothing's going to be on the screen, so just listen to me. There's going to be rebellion. Spiritual rebellion. I want you to think of your life in this in just a moment. The next is that the Lord becomes angry with their rebellion. The Lord will become angry with their rebellion. You'll see it in this text as we work our way through it this morning. It'll say the Lord was provoked to anger. This made the Lord angry. The next thing is specifically is that they become oppressed by their enemies. God allows a nation, a, a group of people, the Bible calls them raiders or, or uh, pillagers or plunderers or whatever it is. These are just robbers, thieves, you know, just, just crooked people come in and they oppress the nation of Israel. Certain people. The Lord hears their cries. That's the next thing that will happen because they'll begin to cry out. They'll begin to cry out. And then the next one is that salvation will come through a judge. God will raise up a person in the book of Judges that's called a judge. And he will deliver his people through this judge. Salvation. They will be saved through a judge. They will follow the Lord until the judge dies. And then guess what the last thing happens? Rebellion. They turn again from the Lord. Think about your life. Over and over and over. In Joshua and Judges, there should not have been any defeat. 
There should not have been any oppression. There should not have been anyone else in the land possessing it. And there should not have been the presence of other gods. So why did it happen? Here's the big line for today. I just need you to understand this. They compromised with evil. They compromised with evil. And there's nothing good that will happen in the life of a follower of Jesus when you compromise with evil. And you think about everything that we're being told today of how we need to give in and how we need to compromise on this issue or that issue. But Joshua didn't compromise with evil. Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve, Israel. But for me and my house, we will serve who? The Lord. David didn't compromise with Goliath, did he? Did he walk in the battle and say, no, let's just, let's just figure out how to do this peacefully? No. He said, you come at me with a spear and sword, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Most High. He will, he will deliver you over and I will cut your head off today. And that's exactly what he did, wasn't it? Daniel didn't compromise with Darius when Darius sent out a decree and said, no one is to pray to God at all. Daniel went into his room at the upper part of his house. He opened the windows and he prayed three times a day to the God of heaven. And he was thrown in the lion's den. He didn't compromise. The early church didn't compromise with pluralists. In other words, they didn't say, okay, we'll worship God and we'll worship the Lord and, and, and we'll do all these things, but once a year we're going to go in and offer a pinch of incense to Caesar and say that Caesar is God so that we don't get in trouble. They didn't compromise. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther in the Great Reformation didn't compromise with Catholicism. He said, no, it absolutely is not by works that gets a man into heaven. I don't care how much money you pay, how much stuff you do to the church, how much you give. It is only by grace and grace alone. And Martin Luther stood on that principle. And it cost many men their lives. John Robertson, the pastor of the pilgrims, didn't compromise with the Church of England. And because of that, our nation was birthed. And our founding fathers didn't compromise at all with an autonomous society. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And you can say that our founders were deists and you can make a case that they weren't true Christians and that they just believed in a God. And I could say you're, you're, you've, you've got a point on a lot of that. But everywhere in the founding fathers' documents of our country, you see the Ten Commandments. See, when we compromise with evil, it gets us nowhere. But think about today. Think about this. I'm told that I'm sexist if I agree that God has designed men and women uniquely for a specific purpose in his plan. I'm told I'm sexist if I believe that. I'm told that I'm a homophobe if I don't agree that marriage was designed for man and woman and that a, a, a relationship and homosexuality is outside of God's plan for his creation. I'm told I'm a homophobe if I disagree with that. I'm told I'm an Islamophobe if I don't agree with the tenets of Islam. And I don't think that they're a peaceful nation or a peaceful religion. I'm sorry. I'm told all of these things. If you'll just compromise with all of these things, and I'm telling you, they're pure evil. And we have pressures all around us, all around us telling us to compromise with everything we see. You say, well, why is it such a big deal to compromise with those things? Look with me in the book of Judges. We're just going to walk through this. I hope you got a pen in your Bible. It won't be on the screen. Grab out your phones, open your devices, whatever you have to do to get to a Bible, get to one. 
Look in verse 11. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Well, what was evil? They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. It's as if they worshipped the Baals. Baals stood for a mini-god, little gods. They worshipped the little gods in exchange for the only God. Think of that for a moment. Look at what it says. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They infuriated the Lord, for they had abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the asterisks. Baal was the, considered the god of the rain and so many other things of the weather, and they would go and they would worship him and they would offer sacrifices. But the asterisk is where they would have prostitutes at these, at these uh, uh, limbless trees that they would carve all of these symbols and signs in, and they would go there and they would offer their body as a living sacrifice to this god of asterisk. And so all of a sudden we see that in Jezebel's time, in the, the, the middle of, uh, of Scripture, of the Old Testament, we realize that Jezebel had 500 prophets on the king's payroll of Ashtoreth. All of these, all of these, uh, all of these prostitutes and, and everything, and they would offer their body. And here are the two things that I want you to see in this passage. You can write these down. Is that Israel had abandoned the Lord. That's huge. We tend to think that somehow that I can go away from God, I can do what I want to do, and when I'm ready, I'll come back to God and all of these things. And we don't realize the chaos, the consequences that can happen in our life if we abandon the Lord. The second thing that they did is they did what was evil in God's sight and served idols. Those are the two things I want you to see in this passage. They abandoned the Lord, and because of it, when you abandon the Lord, it leads you in a, down a path that you don't want to go. Look at verse 12 with me for just a moment into verse 14. I want you to, I want you to see this. They had abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples, bowed down to them. They infuriated the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal in the asterisk. And then look at verse 14. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. These are just basically raiders. And he sold them to the enemies around them so that they could no longer resist their enemies. What are you saying, Zach? What is this? What's the big deal about this? Idolatry always leads to slavery. When you begin to worship other gods, you will be slave to those gods. They will tell you where to go, how to spend your money, what to be passionate about, what to be passive about. They will tell you all of these things. And here's the thing. We, we're going to see this in Scripture. They care nothing about you, and they are not even real themselves. When we worship the God of money, money is going to tell us what we have to do in order to have some type of significance in our life. When we worship the God of relationships, we're going to tell ourselves that if we're not in a relationship, we have no significance, no security, none of these things. When we worship these other gods besides the Lord God himself, it always leads us into slavery. And it always leads us straight to captivity in a stronghold of Satan to where we go, I'm never going to get rid of this. I'm never going to defeat this. I'm always going to be walking in this. 
And then, then we begin to think it becomes our identity. Idolatry always leads to slavery. Whenever the Israelites, verse 15, went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them so that they suffered greatly. Why would God do this? I mean, here's the, here's the major tension in the book of Judges, and I shared this last week. It's the major tension that you, you it's hard to understand. On one hand, God said, if you do this, I'm going to punish you, and this is what's going to happen. But on the other hand, he extends grace and mercy by raising up judges to deliver them when he hears their cries for help. So how can God take a sinful people who need to be punished and who need, because they've broken the covenant of God, how can he just give them grace and mercy? Because the the New Testament shows us Jesus Christ, who was sinless. And everything that God should have poured out on Israel and everything that God should have poured out on us because of our sinful condition, he poured out on his one and only son on the cross. And that's why we get grace and mercy and forgiveness. But in the book of Judges, there's this huge tension. And if you don't have the New Testament, it's really hard to grasp that. Look at what verse 16 says. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but let's just go with it, okay? But they did not listen to their judges. Think about this for a moment. They rebelled against the Lord. They compromised with evil. They began to turn to other gods. Idols, they were, they were turning to, to every other god that was in the land. It said that they went after other gods. And until their military was so weak and they could not defend themselves, that is the only time that they turned back to the Lord. You think maybe God would weaken us so much that until we believe that we're not this big bad nation and that we can't handle ourselves and we can't take care of ourselves that it, that it would be the only time that America will go driving to their knees crying out for God to deliver them? Because up to this point, if you listen to all of the, the hoopla and everything that is going on right now in America and on the news and everything, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need anybody else. We don't need God. We're the biggest, baddest nation ever. And we've forgotten what made us that way. It was only the blessing of God. It was only men and women who stood on the principles of God's word. America is not Israel, folks. Look at what it says in verse 17. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, this is a very strong word, they prostituted themselves with other gods Bowing down to them, they quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. And with the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. Do you realize that they had a covenant with the Lord? God said that they prostituted themselves. God doesn't just want us to know him and have this intellectual understanding. And he don't want us to just be his friend and have a companionship. But but we enter into a deep relationship with him. The Bible says that we are joined and he is the the groom and the church is the bride of Christ. We, We are covenanted with him. And so is Israel. But they prostituted themselves. It was as a it was as a spouse who was cheating on another. With a prostitute. 
going after other things. And you need to understand this. Idolatry, this is what Tim Keller says, and I, I think it's so true. Idolatry is entering into an intense relationship. The idol uses us, but truly never cares about us. Just like a prostitute. Use us, never cares. They had become a people who had forgot the Lord. You say, well, what's the big deal of that? Turn with me to Hosea. I want to show you something. Hosea, it's right after Daniel, the book of Daniel. Hosea, just go over about 15, 20 books. You'll find it. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 2. I want you to listen to what, how God describes this nation hundreds of years after Judges and how he describes it. Look at Hosea 2 and verse 2. Now here's what you know, what you need to know about Hosea. Hosea was asked by the Lord, was called by the Lord to go find a promiscuous woman and to marry her even though he knew she would not be faithful to her. God said, do this. Because I want this to be a picture of how even though Israel has not been faithful with me, I will be faithful to her. But look how God describes Israel in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. I mean, that's strong language. In other words, it's like she's not living in covenant. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as she was on the day of her birth. I will make her like a desert and like a parched land, and I will let her die of thirst. I will have no compassion on her children, because they are the children of promiscuity. For their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will go after my lovers, the men who gave me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her away with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her path. She will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will seek them but not find them. That's strong words. You know what God is saying to the nation of Israel there? I'm getting ready because of your rebellion, because of your promiscuity, because of your spiritual adultery, of following these other gods, of worshiping the Baals, of sacrificing your children to the God of Molech, uh, of prostituting yourself before the God of Ashtoreth. Before all of these things, I'm getting ready to bring a nation in on you. I'm going to wall you in. You will not be able to escape. What are your gods going to do then? They won't be able to help you. And I'm going to bring a nation in to overthrow you and to take you down. And that's exactly what he did with Assyria. And Assyria took the nation of Israel and took them into captivity. He did the same thing for Judah, the nation to the south, through Babylon. Because of their promiscuity, because of their idolatry. But God always keeps a remnant of his mercy and grace. And after so many years of being in captivity in Babylon... People began to find their way back and God used them greatly for his glory. Go with me back to Judges chapter 2. I want you to see this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. You need to, you need to make a note out of here. These judges were not perfect. These judges were not holy. These judges were not um, anything but used by the Lord. 
They had a lot of flaws in these judges, but because God's blessing was on them, he used them in a mighty way. Look at this. Uh, Go with me about halfway down. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. God heard their cries, and because he has covenant with them, and because he has a deep-seated love with them, he came and restored them. And save them from from these things. Verse 20. The Lord's anger burned against Israel. And he declared. Because this this nation has violated my covenant. That I made with their fathers. And disobeyed me. I will no longer drive out before them. Any of the nations Joshua left. When he died. This is what God says. Okay. You want to disobey, you want to disobey, you want to disobey. I'm going to, I'm going to send a judge. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. But every time that judge dies, you run back to your other gods, okay? I'm not driving these people out anymore. You're going to have to live with them. And I'm going to do it for two reasons. The first one, the first reason that he did it was to test their faithfulness to him. In the day and age that we are living, in the gods that we are surrounded by each and every day, you think, why, why doesn't God just eliminate evil? Why doesn't God just eliminate evil? He will someday. Trust me, he will. But right now, it might be just to test your faithfulness. Are you going to serve the Lord, or are you going to turn to other gods? Look at what he says. Verse 22, I did this to test Israel. And to see whether they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. I didn't just drive them out because I wanted to test your faithfulness and you failed the test. Chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left in order to test Israel since none of these Israelites had fought in any of the wars with Canaan. This was to teach, here's the second thing it was to teach them, the future generation of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. You say, he was trying to make them warriors? No, I had nothing to do with it. He wanted them to understand their total and utter dependence upon him. Do you think Israel had a fighting chance whatsoever going up against one of the biggest cities in the land of Jericho when they had never even fought? But God said, ah, march around it seven times, blow some trumpets, shout out a cry, and watch the walls tumble, and I'm going to hand them over to you. See, it wasn't their military greatness that did all of these things. It was God's blessing and God's hand. And God wanted to teach this new generation to be totally dependent upon him. And let's look at the result of this. Because this is kind of like an overview of the book of Judges before we really get into it. Look at the result, verse 4. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given their fathers through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Verse 6 is one of the saddest verses. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, which they were commanded not to do. Gave their own daughters to their sons, which they were commanded not to do, and worshiped their gods. All because they compromised with evil. So, 
as you close scripture this morning, I want you to ask yourself some questions and they're going to be on the screen. Just think about these things as we close this morning, as the band comes forward. Where are you compromising with evil in your life right now? What's the one area that you're just compromising with evil in your life right now? That, that one area, God's told you about it this morning. This moves us to question two. Has God told you to drive something out of your life that you have yet to do? God said, drive these people out. And they said, okay, they're the Canaanites that we drive out and we eliminate. Then there are the Canaanites that we, we tolerate, right? I'll just tolerate them. They're, they're really not going to turn us to other gods. I'll just, they're not so bad. And then there are the Canaanites that we subjugate where we take them into slavery and we say, hey, I can get a use for this. And God had told them to drive them out. And there are things in our lives that we're supposed to drive out. It's sin in our life. God has said, get rid of it. And we go, wait a minute, I'll just tolerate it. Or some of you say, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to lie or cheat or steal or anything, but man, I'm making a lot of money off that in my business. I'll just get some use out of that sin. I'll get some use out of that evil. When God has said to drive it out. What is that area in your life? Here's the third question. What other gods have you been worshiping that you need to repent of this morning? I don't know. God's revealed them to you. Maybe it's nothing more than you've just been dependent on everything else but God. You've ran to other successful people to try to take care of your your struggles and your problems. You've ran to people who who, uh, you think can help you and you have yet to go to God. Maybe it's just A lack of trust in God. And as the Israelites had to learn, here's the last question. In what areas of your life have you quit being dependent upon God? Think about it. As we look at the book of Judges, they are going to have to choose. Are they going to worship what they see in the land that they are in? Or are they going to obey and worship the king of kings? It's a choice for every generation, for king or country. What will you choose? We could be like the religious leaders and when they say, this is what's going to happen and yada, 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 and we say, we have no king but Caesar. Or we could be like the early church and we could take their motto as they were hauled off to die for their faith. They would sing a song We have no king but Jesus.